the mission of the Raising the Standard podcast is to call you forward as a kingdom-driven man. If that's you, you are called to produce, you are called to create, and most importantly, learn how to partner with God in fulfilling His purpose for your life. And if that's you, you're in the right place, and this is the right episode because this week, my guest is none other than Frank Viola. If you don't know Frank, Frank is the author of over 30 books. Frank's mission is to take men and women everywhere and call them deeper into the deeper Christian life. His books have had a personal profound effect on my life, and I can't wait to introduce him to you today. Frank is someone I consider a mentor and a friend. And guys, we have a great episode lined up for you because today we're going to be talking about Frank's unprecedented productivity and how you can take some of his time-tested techniques. This man is focused. This man has produced quality content since 2005, producing over 30 books, two blogs, runs two podcasts, and also hosts seminars and conferences. So there's so much we can learn in his journey as a creator, an entrepreneur, and also as someone who ministers the deeper things. In this episode, we are going to talk about some of the current trends in Christianity. We're also going to look at how Frank has managed to produce so much content. We're going to look at the differences between what he describes as the studio life versus the industrial life, and you're going to learn a little bit about how he got started and found his mission. If you struggle with self-doubt or discouragement, stay with this episode because you're going to get Frank's personal formula for how he overcomes that. Guys, this episode is so good. Our conversation was so great that I decided to take this interview and break it into two parts. So we are going to start with part one today with Frank Viola. This is Raising the Standard, leadership, mindset, and development for the ambitious Christian man. Identify, unlock, and access spiritual secrets and strategies grounded in biblical truth so you can run your race and maximize your impact and influence. It's time to lead yourself, your family, and your world. Let's get after it. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Raising the Standard. I've been excited about this one. It's been a long time coming, a long time in the making. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to someone who's been a mentor to me, someone who I've literally read almost every single page they've ever written, which is crazy. And it's someone that I've been really looking forward to, to introduce this audience of Kingdom Driven Men to. Frank Viola, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> Privileged to be on, bro. Um, yeah, I've been looking forward to it myself. So, well, Frank, I got to tell you, you've had your ministry, your writing has had such an impact on my life. Um, I came across your first book, Pagan Christianity, back in 2008. So that's when I first got introduced to your writing. And um, we know that book made a lot of ripples and it, it had a huge impact in the Christian community, but I didn't stop there. And I know that's your goal. You don't want people good, to stop good, with that book. Because <laughs> it's not a standalone book. Good. <laughs> I, I understand it. It's a set of three. And I went to the next one. And I went to the next one. And then I went back. You know, I went into everything that you've written. So when you release a book, I pre-order. I get it right away. And guys, I'm just telling you, if you're listening to this, get Frank's stuff. It's so deep. It's so rich. In a day and age, Frank, where... Um, what I describe as superficial Christianity, where we're hit with topical messages and we're hit with all these different themes, topics that are being discussed from church pulpits across America. Um, what you write are uncut gems. They're things that are 
beautiful. They're great. They take us into the deeper life. They've definitely have had have had an impact on my life, and I know they'll impact anyone who reads them. So I I just personally, before we start, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate that and praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Response, praise the Lord. Uh, well, that's awesome. And, you know, a couple of years ago, we got a chance to meet live. We connected and um, it's just been great building a relationship with you. So I've been excited and looking forward to introducing you to the audience. So before we get started today, um, let me allow you to introduce yourself to the audience because I gave you a little introduction there and we know you're an established author. Um, but if you could tell us a little bit of your backstory and how you went from where you started to where you are now, that would be awesome. Well, I'm not the professional baseball pitcher of the same name, um, although I did play uh, baseball in high school and I even pitched, but uh, I was not the one who made it to the majors. <laughs> um, anyway, I guess I'm mostly known by people for being an author and a conference speaker. And I was first published by a reputable Christian publisher in 2005. And since then, I have written uh, a total of 34 books. Over 14 have been published by large Christian publishing houses, and nine of them, uh, thankfully, <laughs> have been bestsellers. Uh, I have two podcasts, The Christ is All podcast and The Insurgents podcast, and I have a blog, frankviola.org, which has everything on it. And I send out a fresh article every week. I speak in conferences, Bible schools, churches, and I run a network called the Deeper Christian Life Network, which I view as my most valuable resource. And you, sir, are on it. I think you've been on it from the beginning. I am. Um, well, ever since you introduced yeah. me to it, <laughs> yeah. whenever I heard about it. Yeah. So we've been doing that since 2015, and um, it's been a real blessing to me just to meet Christians all over the world who are really invested in the deeper things of God. My work is really geared toward those who say in their hearts, there has to be more than this. You mentioned superficial, shallow Christianity. Well, there's a segment of the Christian populace that would agree with that assessment. I certainly would. And so consequently, my books, my messages, my articles have turned the lights on for Christians who want something deeper and higher in their Christian experience. In fact, the Lord has been merciful <laughs> to use my work to turn lights on in places where no light exists. Um, I also have a business where I train authors, and you've been part of that training yourself, uh, and content creators. So that's another side of my work. It's, it's, it's the business side, uh, so to speak. Uh, but my heart beats for the ministry that uh, that I'm involved in, and that has just been a progressive journey of writing before the internet hit, and then starting a blog, and we'll we'll get into that later. Um, and then that moved over to writing books. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. All right, Frank, you just brought up you know superficial Christianity, which is something that I I basically stand against as well, and we talk about on this show as well. So that's why I'm super excited to have you here. But let, let's get your thoughts on that because right now we live in a really unique era. Um, you know, we have social media, so anyone can publish, which is great. You can, you can be a content creator. There's not as many barriers to get your message out, to get your ideas out, to get your thoughts out. And at the same time, we also see a rise of other people, of all people getting their messages out. But 
But the downside is we need discernment to discern what are those messages we're listening to and which ones should we subscribe to? So what are your thoughts on just Christian ministry right now, specifically in the influencer space, where we just see the rise of so many voices and there's so many options that we can choose to listen to. Where do we and how do we make those choices of who we should be following? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. Um, To my mind, every Christian is in a different place spiritually. Some are new to the journey to the Christian journey. Uh, some have been around for a long time. Um, some believers got saved in big movements. Others got saved by the witness of one or two people. Uh, so a person's spiritual appetites will differ from individual to, to individual. So I can't speak for other people or voices. Uh, I can only tell you what my work is focused on. My work is focused on what Andrew Murray called the deeper Christian life. I call it the deeper journey. That's the tagline of my ministry. And in my youth, I traversed just about every denomination, Josh, uh, every movement, uh, virtually every movement, I would say, in the Christian space. And for me, it was a journey of receiving the best that all of them had to offer. But eventually, I was left hungry and thirsty and with a burning question. And that was, there has to be more than this. (laughs) So that would lead me to another ministry. That would lead me to another parachurch organization. That would lead me to another movement. And I did that. I, I basically tried to acquire all of the gems that I could in each movement, in each denomination and, and so forth, each tribe. But it all, at the end of the day, left me hungry and thirsty. And it left me hungry and thirsty, not for more academic knowledge, uh, not for more uh, of an emotional experience. It left me hungry and thirsty for more of Jesus Christ, for more of him. And so that, in effect, is the taproot of all of my work. It It has been birthed by my own quest and question of there must be more. And what I have written and spoken is, yes, there is more. Here is some of what it is. And because it has impacted my own life, then I put it in print or I put it in a spoken message or I put it in, you know, the form of a podcast episode. And uh, and it's resonating with a certain uh, uh, a certain segment of the Christian populace. Now, the majority of the Christian world is not uh, in that place. You know, they're not seeking what is more. The majority of Christians, by my observation, uh, are pretty content in whatever denomination, whatever movement they're in. Now, in time, lots of them leave, and then they do come to this place of, there's got to be more. (laughs) What is it? Um, And that's when they find people like me, okay? but right now, you know, so many of them are not on the journey. And we'll talk about masses, the masses, a little bit later, because you, I know you have some questions on that uh, that relate to that. But, you know, there is a difference between what the mass market uh, is geared toward and what it wants, both in the business world and in the Christian world. And the masses are just not on the deeper journey. And, and that's okay. And it's never been that way throughout church history. It's only been a small segment. Now, that doesn't mean they're better or they're more elite or they're superior. It just means they're in a different space. And that's the space that I'm on. 
Well, that was really well said. You said a couple of things there, Frank, I want to pick up on. You know, the first thing you said was, or what stood out to me was your ability to focus. You know, you really answered that question by saying you're really focused on what you're doing and you're not so much paying attention to everything else, which I think is a huge takeaway because in a, a day and time where we're so driven by distractions and there's so many things competing for our attention, you know what you're called to do, you can keep your head down and you can stay aligned to your mission. And that just speaks to a lot of discipline, not to put your head up and look around and get caught in comparison as well. Yeah, that's true. I'm laser focused. Um, and if I wasn't, I would not have been able to produce the amount of resources that I've been able to by God's grace. Um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm not someone who, uh, is easily pulled away by, you know, the latest thing in the Christian world. I mean, there are many fads in the Christian world. There are many yeah. trends and usually about every five years, a new fad <laughs> emerges, mm -hmm. Uh, a new wind blows through the doors of the church. And I, Josh, basically have um, learned not to pay attention to them. In fact, I was asked recently by someone, uh, I have a mastermind for pastors and teachers, and one of the pastors asked me a question. He said, well, what do you feel about, what do you have to say about the recent trend of abuse in church leadership? And my response to him was, there's been abuse in church leadership for decades. And I said, I wrote about it in 2008, you know, so I don't pay attention to the latest, you know what I mean? Um, and my work has addressed most of the winds and trends and fads that are blown through the church every five years, because I've been, you know, putting out work for so many years. And these things are cyclical, you know, uh, whatever it may be, there's nothing new under the sun, even in the Christian world. It's just a recycling of a new emphasis, uh, so to speak. So yeah, I'm I, I I don't pay attention to that. I'm focused on what God has put on my plate, and I have ways of doing that, and ways of avoiding distraction, and a ways of and ways of being uh, enormously productive that I've learned and acquired over time. Um, especially in this day and age, you know, one of the things that we talk about on this show, Frank, and that I've seen in my own life, writing a book and getting it to completion, is I've learned the principle that there is dominion in finishing something. You actually take dominion in life when you finish a project because it's easy to start. And many men start or they think about starting something. But when we get into, even if we look at the, st the statistics on people who buy books, um, <laughs> you and I both know as authors, like many people don't even open them up. And then the ones that start reading them, it's even fewer that finish the book. So even when it comes to just finishing reading a book, that's very hard to find these days. Yeah. So tell me more about, let's get into your, your methodology there. And, and I think you call this the studio life versus the industrial life. So I'd like you to elaborate on that for the audience. And these are new terms for us. So um, would love to hear the difference there as a content creator and how you maintain that discipline, if you could walk us through that. Well, I'll begin with um, talking about my own productivity hacks, I guess. <laughs> um, one of the things that people have asked me often is you know how do you produce all this content and what's what's the secret behind it and so uh, basically i because i was asked this so many times i produced a um course called prolific uh it took me a while to come up with that name <laughs> and i think it i think it describes you know what it's all about 
And basically, Prolific is a course that teaches what I have learned and what I practice myself uh, with respect to productivity, creativity, mission finding, which is a big deal for many people. How do I find my mission? Goal setting. And all of these things have come out of my experience through failures, successes, experimentations. And, uh, but I have, I have five things that I'll, I'll mention that may be of help to your listeners. One, I have a time management system that makes me incredibly productive in a short space. Two, I use certain tools that helps me slice time. And they're all unveiled in the prolific course, all the tools. I have mastered the power of the plod. And for me, the power of incremental change is beyond wonder. A little bit every day adds up until you can actually complete the project. Lots of times people are just overwhelmed by the size of what they have to do. And it creates anxiety and fear and they end up quitting. So uh, the plod is, is something that has rescued many people, including myself from that. Uh, the fourth one is I say no to things that are outside my wheelhouse and that will not move the needle on my mission. I have a list of seven questions that I run through. All invitations or opportunities, including the one you sent me to be on this podcast. I ran it through my seven list grid. I'm glad I made it. <laughs> <laughs> and then five, I'm crystal clear on my mission. And also I'm aware, keenly aware that my days are numbered. Uh, and that's the case for every mortal. You know, we're not going to live forever. So my mission and my limited time um, that I have to fulfill what drives me, I hope I can do so uh, before I leave this planet and be with the Lord. Uh, but uh, regarding the studio life versus the industrial life, and that's really what I contrast it with, um, the studio life is the life of an artist. And I define art as any creative work that a human being produces that's unique to them. All right, so art can take the form of music, painting, drawing, photography, but it can also take the form of writing literature and delivering messages, which is my world. And the industrial life, or you can call it the factory life, there you, you basically clock into a building and you're a cog in the wheel that can be replaced. And the industrial life is an echo of the assembly line of 1925. You're a cog in the system. And the industrial life wants to replace you eventually, but an artist cannot be replaced. So for example, there are thousands of creative artists, authors, conference speakers, I'm speaking about my world now, entrepreneurs, um, but each artist, all right, myself included, yourself included, is unique to all of them, right? Your writing style is different from everyone else's. My writing style is different. All right. We cannot be replaced. And for the first 17 years of my life, my adult life, I was a cog in the wheel. I'm talking about my adult life, right? When I started my first job, um, I was a public school teacher and um, I retired early. And guess what? I was replaced <laughs> uh, because that was the industrial life. And that's what happens right? They get a new cog to replace the old cog in the system. For the last 20 years, though, I have been living the studio life. I transitioned to the studio life and nobody can replace what I do. And so the studio life, I would put it this way. It's where I create 
I meditate, I pray, I study, I edit, I do interviews, I create podcasts, um, I author books, articles, I get inspired. And the road life is attached to the studio life, right? That's where I will speak in conferences, seminars, meet people, uh, visit churches, work with churches, meet the Lord's people direct, hold in-person masterminds. Um, and part of the studio life is virtual meetings. So I actually have a studio. It's not a music studio. <laughs> it's the studio where I create my own art. And I'm sitting in it right now as we're having this podcast. But I much prefer the studio life than the industrial life. And, you know, for a person who is driven, they have a mission, they have a message, they can move, eventually transition. I believe if they take the right steps and they're given the right training, they can move from the industrial life to the studio life. And me personally, as I said, I much prefer that. <laughs> well, you talked about having a mission there. So I have to ask you, when did you realize that you have a mission? Because when someone first, first writes their first book or they think about releasing a message, there might be some self-doubt that comes with that or is my message good enough? And one of the things you said that really encouraged me, and I use it myself, is that we all speak differently. So I, I view it this way, is like, no one can say it like you, Frank. And no one can say it like me. And no one can say it like the listener who's listening right now. So that validates all of our style. But when you first started, did you have that amount of confidence with it? Or how did you grow into the creator that you are today? Well, let's take that in pieces. Um, first, finding my mission. Now, I distinctly remember I was 17 years old. I was listening to a preacher um, speak. And it was like a revelation to me that I would be not a pastor, all right, of, of a local church, not a pastor of a local church, but I would be a traveling uh, speaker, so someone who has a traveling itinerant ministry. And it just, it, it was a cloudburst. Um, I saw it clearly. I also saw uh, near the same time that I was not to go to Bible college or seminary. And looking back, I'm glad I didn't. Now, I interact with seminary professors all the time. I have had debates, robust debates with, with quite a few of them. I've spoken in conferences with seminary professors, um, some very well-known theologians, uh, some of the most well-known theologians in the world, for example. Um, but I'm glad I didn't go that route because the discoveries I've made, I'm quite clear I would not have made them if I had that education. Um, there's certain things that you're not going to learn in seminary. And this is the testimony of many people, Josh, who I work with, many pastors and leaders. They say, I've never learned half of the stuff uh, that have transformed my life in seminary. And I went for many years. Anyway, that's a, that's a rabbit trail. But that mission, that vision began to grow in time. And there was one point in time where I got very clear on what I was to do. Um, I don't remember the year it was, but I do remember where I was <laughs> when it happened. And I do remember what I was doing when it happened. And so basically, I think for, for anybody who wants to get clear on the mission, and like I said, the prolific course, which we'll talk about later when we get into uh, the scribe training, um, does give you a very practical uh direction on how to find your mission, because it's how I found mine when I began to dissect it, um, looking back, of course. But regarding self-doubt, 
you know, I have certainly had self-doubt in the past, but over the years, I have become so clear on what my mission is that I don't doubt the value I create when I put something into the world. What I do deal with <laughs> is not being sure about the impact that a particular resource is going to have. All right. Now, I used to think, well, this article that I just wrote, it's going to go viral. It has to. <laughs> or this book I just wrote is going to become a bestseller. And I'll talk to my agent and he'll say, yes, I think it's going to be a bestseller. Or this podcast episode is going to spread all over the world. And whenever I've made those predictions, Josh, I have been wrong. <laughs> um, and the stuff that goes viral, the resources that do go viral, or the, or the book that becomes a bestseller, I didn't expect it. And so I quit anticipating or predicting or expecting. Uh, that said, the imposter syndrome, and there's a name for the self-doubt you're talking about, is very common to creators. Even the most successful people, whether they're in the Christian space or they're in the entrepreneurial space or they're in the acting space or the celebrity space, all successful people struggle with it. And what I have learned about it is that when you feel that self-doubt coming on you, it doesn't always mean this, but it often means that you're leaning out of the boat into something that's significant. And so the key is that if you really feel burdened to release something into the world, you have to learn to launch it despite the fear. And this next thing is related, and I think it will speak to a lot of listeners. My own kryptonite is discouragement. And discouragement is part of any ministry. Well, I personally have a PhD in it, though. <laughs> uh, however, I have always thank God, managed to bounce back from it. But when it's on me, I don't have that assurance. Uh, even though I've seen this old friend before, it's like dancing with a new one. And I dedicate an entire chapter in my latest book, uh, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power. I dedicate a whole chapter to discouragement. And I talk about my remedy and I share it with you know the reader uh, because I do think there is a remedy to uh, discouragement, at least there has been in my own life. And, um, so I give that recipe in, in that book, but, um, you know, regarding your other question, um, well, I think I answered both questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you when it comes to discouragement or, you know, any kind of attack we can, we can call it just, you know, just something that's just trying to stop the work. Um, do you notice cycles and seasons that it's aligned with? Is it, does it come at the same time, you know, towards the end of a project when you're almost completing it? Just curious about your insight on that. Well, for me, the discouragement mostly comes in the form of, um, you know, I want this particular piece of content to reach this particular audience, right? Um, by particular audience, it could be I write something and it's specifically geared toward 20s or I write something or I, I produce a podcast. It's specifically geared toward the 30s. Um, and so for me, the way it works is, well, this doesn't seem to be penetrating that audience yet. And so that may be discouraging to me. Um, or I may have an experience where I have a breakthrough in ministering to somebody, right? And it really seems that something dramatic has happened. But then in time, 
I'll get word, but they're often in a different universe, right? That whatever took place there didn't hold. So that discourages me. Now, again, I always bounce back from it. And 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 see, to me, let me let me put it to you this way. And I think this is going to help a lot of people who are listening, especially if they're content creators or they're in ministry. You may speak somewhere, okay? And, and this happened to me. I Or you may put out a book and uh, you may have some people trashing it. Um, or you may speak somewhere and you may get uh, a few people who just are kind of, you know, on their phone or on their laptop. And this, this happened to me once a number of years ago. I was speaking at a conference. Uh, there was a gentleman there who was on his laptop the whole time. Uh, and I gave, I think I gave seven or eight messages in that conference. It was a, a lengthy conference. And I was focused on him uh, because I had, I started a relationship with him and he was a fellow leader uh, and there was about 200 people at this conference, but for some reason I was focused on him. He was on his laptop the whole time. And I, I thought the best, I thought, well, you know what, maybe, um, he's taking notes. <laughs> well, then I found out from the people sitting around him, no, he was doing his own work the whole time <laughs> and he was a man. So I don't think he could multitask. At least I've not met many men who can do that. So basically he was zoning out on my messages right and it really discouraged me josh um but then i realized what about the woman who was sitting in front of him who had tears in her eyes as i was speaking what about the guy to his left who was on the edge of his seat and was taking so many notes that his hand was wearing out what about the guy to his right who was electrified and told me that afterwards. And so basically, here's what I learned. Those messages at that conference were not for that man who was on his laptop. They weren't for him. And, uh, you know, I, I had a pastor who's part of my mastermind, the uh, Insurgents Experience Mastermind, very recently asked me this, Frank, how do you deal with people who are not responsive to your message or who don't like a book you have written. And in some cases, I could look objectively and say, well, you know, I could have done it better this way. I could have written it better this way. I could have delivered it better this way. In some cases, I can objectively say that. But in most cases, it is a case that it wasn't for them. The book wasn't for that person. The message was not for that individual, right? It was for a lot of other people, but it wasn't for them. And I gave him the illustration that if you dragged me to a country music concert, I would not like it. I would not respond to it favorably. Not because it's not valuable, not because the people who put on the conference weren't talented, not because it wasn't a great event. It's because it's not for me. I don't like country music. <laughs> And if you forced me, I wouldn't do this. I'd never do this. But if you forced me to rate it on a scale of one to five, I would give it a one star because it's not for me. And so if those of you who are listening, God has given you a gift. God has given you a message. You know it's the Lord. It's not going to be for everybody. And, you know, the most successful books that have ever been written, or let, let me just say the most impactful and important books that have ever been written, <clears throat> that have ever been written, 
that have ever been panned are going to have tons of one-star reviews, but they're going to have a lot more five-star and four-star reviews. And all those one-star reviews really say is it wasn't for them. Wrong audience, right? And so every creator needs to get clear on who their audience is. Who am I writing for? Who am I speaking to? Who is my work for? And once you get clear on that, you can focus on those people, the people who really respond, the people who are, resp who, uh, are transformed by your work, and ignore the people to whom it's not for, rather than look at it, focus on it, and get discouraged, which will happen. And let me just make a comment because for the people that leave one-star reviews or you feel the need to leave a negative comment or put some hate in the feed, you can keep scrolling. <laughs> you don't have to stop and do that, right? So for it's a it's an energy expenditure. So I would say just keep scrolling. We don't get caught in the mix and um, focus on what you're called to do. So I love that, Frank. But for but I have a question though because you touched on a lot of it right now, but. Simple answer or simple question for you is, how do you, how does Frank define success right now? You know, I was watching a, a documentary the other day and it had a quote by Bob Dylan. And he said, a man is a success if he gets up in the morning and gets to bed at night. And in between, he does whatever he wants to do. I thought that was interesting. Um, one minister an old minister once told me that the size of your ministry will be based on how much courage you have. And A.W. Tozer, I read a biography of his uh, several years ago. Someone wrote a bio on him. He made this statement that stuck out to me. He said, you concentrate on deepening your ministry and God will widen it. Now, I can't speak for other people or tell them you know, what their ultimate measure of success is, but for me, success is when I am faithful, faithful now, to produce the things the Lord has put on my heart to create despite the outward results. And the older I get, Josh, I, I didn't always have this view now, but the older I get, I seek to live my days for an audience of one. And here's how I view it. Have you ever watched The Truman Show with Jim Carrey? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm Jim Carrey in the Truman Show. <laughs> well, you need to see it. It's quite a quite a movie. And uh, I'll just say this because you can go back and watch it. But I'm Jim Carrey in the Truman Show. The main difference is that Ed Harris is not the one who's orchestrating my surroundings and situations. It's the true and living God. And Jim Carrey was blissfully unaware that his whole world was being orchestrated and observed by Ed Harris. All right, and arranged by him, where in my case, I'm consciously aware that the living God, my Lord, is the one who is both observing and orchestrating my circumstances. And within that, there is free will. And so consequently for me, I'm successful when I am faithful to the one who has put various things on my heart to produce and create, regardless of what the outcome is because my ultimate goal is to please the one who made me, who created me, who called me. Um, and this is a related issue that I'd like to pivot toward, but a problem that paralyzes many creators, whether they're in the ministry space or the business space, 
is the peril of waiting until their work is perfect in order to launch it. I mean, this is huge. And I have never created a book. I've never delivered a message. I've never created a podcast episode. I've never done an interview like this one. <laughs> uh, that was perfect. I have waited until it's good enough to release. But for me, good enough is a pretty high standard. And so th this, is, this is kind of a peek into um, m my own work, okay, or how I operate. If I see something in the Christian world that begs for an explanation, and boy, there's a ton of them from my view, what I do is I investigate it, and then I experiment with solutions. And then when I find a solution that has worked in my own life, and that takes some time, it's at that point, once it's worked in my life, that I write about it or I speak about it. But I test it first in my own life. And so all of my work has one thing in common. It's designed to solve problems that many Christians face today. And that work originates from an experiential posture, not a theoretical one. So if I haven't tested it in my own life and it hasn't worked for me, then I don't release it. And so this shifts the focus on outcomes to, you know, what am I doing that I feel joy and peace about? And do I feel joy and peace in releasing it? Like I'm going to release a podcast episode tomorrow, all right? Um, and of course, when this airs, it will all already have been put out into the world. The podcast episode is very different from anything I've ever done, Josh, okay? It's on a topic I don't talk about. I'm really not interested in, but I'm really not interested in it, but somebody told me about a book called How to Defend Yourself Against Alien Abduction. <laughs> and I, I laughed out loud when I heard the book because I thought it was a spoof book. I got a copy of it from the interlibrary loan and I read it. Uh, or let's say I, I skimmed and dipped really is what I did. I found it fascinating because one of the ways that people who claim to have been abducted by aliens, the way they have gotten out of it relates to something in the New Testament very powerfully. And I found that fascinating. And so the episode is broken up into two parts. The first part is very serious. And I talk about what I found in the book, what I discovered from the book. That's fascinating. But the other part is spoof. And I find it hilarious. And I <laughs> let one of my friends, only two people on the planet have heard it before it's gone live. And I don't normally do this. I don't normally, you know, have people review things before I put them out, uh, at least podcasts. Well, one person, I won't say who they are, uh, one, but I know them both. One person was a male. He thought it was brilliant. He thought it was hilarious. He thought it was clever. The other person didn't find it funny at all. It was a yawn, the spoof part I'm talking about. I'm still going to put it out. I'm still going to put it out. You know, if, if we line up 100 people, right, and only two of them find it funny, I will still take joy and pleasure in it because I find it hilarious, okay, the spoof part now. Um, so really, I'm, I don't measure my work um, based on how many people loved it, how many people hated it. You know, that's not my compass. 
And uh, and I know you want to talk about reassurance at some point, and we can get into that because I can I have some insight into that that has helped me. But basically, getting back to the original question, I test it first in my life before I release it to others. It will have the weight of experience behind it, and I think that is something lacking in our world today, because everybody claims to be an expert, and in the Christian world, you know passing things from frontal lobe to frontal lobe, from notebook to notebook, without the weight of experience behind it, is pervasive. And to have something that has come out of somebody's own experience is pretty rare today. Uh, and I have a whole chapter on this principle in the book, 48 Laws of Spiritual Power, uh, because I see it so often, especially especially among preachers, Josh, um, to, to taste test it before you you know, give a, a message or, or you write something, um, that's pretty, it's exotically rare, actually. So anyway, that's how I would answer that question. Yeah. And isn't that because, Frank, we, um, we live in a culture, especially if you're, if you're a preacher, you have to come up with something every Sunday. And that's the, that's the culture of, I got to find a new topical or topic to speak on. And uh, yeah, I can talk a lot about that. What what lots of pastors and preachers do on Saturday night, uh, it would mortify a lot of the listeners. Not all of them, folks. I'm not taking a dig at pastors, but many of them have confessed the uh, hot sweats they experience on a Saturday night because they don't have anything to preach. Joy and peace. You talked about joy and peace. Frank, what if you have a message that um, is tough to give, if it's challenging to give? Is there still joy and peace with that? If you feel you have to release something to the body or you just have to release something that you feel called to that actually challenges someone, do you still go and are you still guided by that joy and peace? Well, you're, you're speaking to my world because my work is on the edges. You know, my work pushes the envelope. And uh, I would have to say that for me, yeah, it's, it, it is still a matter of life and peace, even though you might have trepidation in sharing it, you know, because the more controversial it will be, um, the more people will lash out at you, especially in our world today. Uh, the social media saturated world that's obsessed with outrage and outrage is, you know, noble, um, you're going to get shot at uh, for sure. And, and so if you do have a message that is going to polarize people, or you do have a message that's going to be controversial, you cannot be a person that has thin skin uh, or that is afraid. And you can have, if you have, if you're a Christian now, you have the life and the peace. I'm speaking of Romans 8. It's a mark of the Spirit's leading that you have life and peace internally, right? You can still bring that message and share it with boldness and passion, no matter where the chips fall. Uh, but again, you have to overcome, be willing to overcome that fear and act in spite of the fear. You know, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to act in spite of, regardless of the fear, and to be willing to accept the consequences, you know. But one of the thing I one thing I say to people if they want to make a change, if they want to make an impact, okay, a real impact. If you're not having people walk out of the theater <laughs> at some point at what you have said or written, uh, then you're hiding. 
all right you're 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 allowing fear to grip you and fear is the force that's behind so much uh, of what keeps creators from creating you know procrastination the root behind that is typically fear um, the unwillingness to launch uh, whatever it is, a message, uh, a piece of writing, it's often fear. Uh, all of these things, you know, writer's block is at the bottom of it, rooted in fear. You know, uh, nobody has talker's block, right? You can talk to somebody and ask them questions. They're going to answer. They don't get, they don't even say, Josh, I'm sorry, I can't answer that question. I've got talker's block. No, writer's block is steeped in fear. So fear is something that must be overcome by anybody who wants to make an impact, create meaningful work that's going to not go viral. That's not the name of the game here, but to, to actually transform a group of people, right? Some people. Um, now, if your work is for everyone, and that's what you're shooting for, you want popularity, you want to be a celebrity, well, first of all, <clears throat> um, you're going to be severely disappointed because what it takes to do that uh, are things that uh, often mean you have to compromise. Uh, but the other part of it is if you create work that's for everybody, for the masses, it's going to be average, it's going to be mediocre, it's going to be common, right? Um, but if you want to make an impact that really is going to be remarkable, wherein a certain segment of the population can't help but remark on it, right? Because it's so different and unique and powerful and transformative, um, then it's going to be on the, it's going to push the edges. You're going to be dancing on the edges. You're going to be pushing an envelope and you're going to be offending some people. That's just the nature of it. And, you know, I give you exhibit A and B, Paul of Tarsus and Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> they had remarkable ministries. It wasn't for the masses. No way. You know, I mean, you look at the people who followed Jesus during his lifetime and even after he ascended, you're talking about 120 people. Most of the churches that Paul raised up, 50 people, 45 to 50 people, most of them, right? And the masses of the Gentile world and the Jewish world of the first century did not respond to the gospel positively. Yeah, so this gets back to who are you creating your work for? Why are you creating it? All right? Whether it's in the ministry space or the business space, those questions are important to explore um, because it will determine the kind of impact you are going to make. And it will also determine, um, you know, who, who is attracted to it and also who attacks it. <laughs> Wow, guys, that was so powerful. What Frank is sharing is something that you really need to get and apply in your life because you're not called to the whole world, but you are called to your world. And what do I mean by that is that you have a specific sphere of influence. You have connections right now. You have relationships that you are called to influence where you are. So I hope you're listening and paying attention because everything Frank is sharing about his journey is something we all can relate to. And personally, I have applied and learned these principles in my life. Now, today's episode was episode 101. In the last episode, episode 100, I shared 10 kingdom principles. And Frank just shared two of them right there that I've learned. Frank just stated that you can expect 
attraction to your message, but you can also expect attack. So expect to attract and expect to get attacked. And in principle six last week, I shared that you should expect attack. Also, Frank talked about stepping through fear. That was also principle number five from last week's episode. So guys, there is a clear call here. There's the message for us is that we need to be courageous. We need to take courageous action. We need to step through fear. And when we do, we can expect to attract the right people into our domain, but also expect the attack of the enemy, the attack of people who don't agree with everything that you're called to do and what you're saying. And that is fine. So guys, I want to charge you until the next episode, you will get part two. We have a lot more content to cover. Frank is dropping a lot more of his personal wisdom and we have something really special for you on the next episode, 102 part two with Frank Viola until the next episode, guys, it's time to raise the standard. Hey guys, I got a quick announcement to make. If you feel that you're in the gap between where you are right now and where you're supposed to be in life, that place that God has promised you, that promised land that he has for you, then I want to invite you into the Unfair Advantage Challenge. It's an 11-day email training content that I've never shared on this platform before. And I'm doing this because I want to equip you and teach you how to access the unfair advantage that God gives all men who are walking with him. But here's the thing. Many men never access it. Many men never reach their promised land and many men never reach their full potential. That's why I'm doing this. So go to accessyouradvantage.com, sign up for the training, and you will get equipped with the strategy, the mindset, and the tools so you can unlock and access the unfair advantage that God has for you. Let's get after it.